Hello, this is Champ 180, and I'm your host, your helper and friend, Adam Childress. If you're listening and expecting a kumbaya session on what you want to hear, this may not be the show for you. We are committed to encouraging and developing champion-like individuals who desire to learn, grow, improve in the five core areas of champ. I'm real, transparent, and say what's on my mind with no fluff or puff. So listen up, because today is your day. Stay tuned. You're now listening to part two of The Power of the Mind. Enjoy. So you mentioned about your, uh, you mentioned about being a certified biblical brain rehabilitation specialist. What's the difference of that, of just a brain rehabilitation specialist? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's kind of a mouth, mouthful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> biblical brain rehabilitation specialist. So Dr. David Stevens, uh, the guy who was really pioneering this treatment methodology, he uh, wanted to be able to train people and give them a certification to be able to uh, treat people with uh, this new research that he had done. Uh, so he has pioneered this. He's um, you know doing medical studies with some local universities in Colorado. And so he puts together this certification and uh, he's currently training on it also. Um, but the there's really no like difference per se because since he created it, there's not necessarily a brain rehabilitation specialist versus a biblical brain rehabilitation specialist. Gotcha. He just calls it a biblical brain rehabilitation specialist because um, the intent is for rehabilitation of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the biblical component is really critical because this this has to do with how we experience God. So there's not really a difference between, I mean, people talk about how um, there's such a big difference between your mind and your brain and your body and your spiritual and all this kind of stuff. And there's really not. I mean, like nobody's able to define what the differences are. And there's very scientific evidence that they're so closely linked that they affect each other instantaneously. There's not this huge divide between the spiritual and the physical and the brain or the the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not this huge difference like we have traditionally thought about it. Uh, so that's when you hear healing the physical body and you're trying to refuel the brain, that affects your spiritual domain, I guess you could call it. And the intent of rehabilitation is to know God better, right? The intent of healing is to know God better. You know, like I talked about those kind of um, thought processes that you get into when you have low fuel. Uh, it's it's the, I'm not worthy, I'm worthless, and you're despondent, and then uh, depression, and, and suicidality even. So, oh, so that's when negative, yeah. negative um, attitude comes in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's all these things that really act as distractions from our relationship with God and how we experience God. Imagine if we didn't question our worth or we questioned our worth way less, we would have a much easier time believing God when he said, you're worth it and you're worthy and you're loved and you're a treasure. Mm. It's amazing when you come through this treatment and you realize, wow, I'm not spending energy thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, or there's something wrong with me or being depressed and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying this is intended to make somebody superhuman, you Mm, know, it's not intended to fix sin, anything like that. Um, But it's, it's to know God better. Right. And that's kind of healing of every kind. Um, It's, it brings hope for one. And this is not science doing this. This is the way God created our environment Mm -hmm. to, to work. This is how he created our body to work, to be able to heal itself. And this treatment and, and the fact that there is a treatment is totally a gift from God. And it's like, that is hope, you know, neuroplasticity itself is hope. And neuroplasticity is kind of covering up the problem, right? But this supplementing with glucose 
or you know, adding fuel to your brain is fixing the problem. It's not just covering over the problem, putting a band-aid on it. Like medication. Right. Like like any kind of drug. It, mm-hmm. It's it's fixing the root cause of all these symptoms that we're experiencing. And I can kind of go into them if, if this is a Sure, time. sure. So one of the biggest ones, it's kind of my pet peeve, is um, early onset aging. Does anybody know what that means? It's, you just age uh, at an earlier age. You start aging at, I think it's uh, about 30-ish, early 30s, 31, 32 is when you stop the aging, when the cells stop um, multiplying or whatever. And then that's when you start aging. The, the process is definitely slowed down. But that's actually a very new phenomenon. That's a very brand new. They didn't used to use the term early onset aging. And in fact, they would call aging much later in life than we do now. So that's a very um, modern medical concept, this, this concept of aging. So early onset aging is what doctors will tell uh, young people <laughs> if they're showing signs of aging, which doesn't make sense, right? Why are they showing signs of aging? Um, and, and a lot of those symptoms are like memory lapses, uh, we're finding difficulty, tinnitus, uh, visual floaties, uh, balance and coordination issues, unexplained muscle weakness, um, anxiety, poor proprioception. Uh, proprioception is just your perception of where you are in relationship to other things. Uh, visual decoding issues and vertigo in a lot of cases. And, th- and this is kind of like a, a set of symptoms or, or, you know, sometimes just graying hair, that kind of thing. What, what doctors call early onset aging. And really all of those things are linked to low fuel. Really? So you're saying that they think it's onset of, what did you say, young aging? Early onset aging. Early onset aging. It's just a lack of glucose. Yes, it is. My goodness. And it's just evidence that that person has come to a point, like we had talked about, where neuroplasticity can no longer cover the injuries, and you're experiencing symptoms that we associate with older age. And the symptoms that we associate with older age we're associating with younger and younger people. So, um, like like memory issues, right? It's always the thing where you say, the young have such good memories, right? (laughs) Oh, to be young again. Um, But what has happened over the years is that we're associating memory issues with younger and younger people. So we see people in their 20s, you know, they're going through college, they're highly stressed out, they've had a number of, um, you know, concussive injuries, or they've had trauma in their background or something like that, and they are struggling so hard to remember, you know? Uh, Maybe they're they're working and, and trying to, uh, you know, learn this new steep learning curve of a new job. And it's hard for them. It's hard for them to remember things. It's hard for them to add to their learning. Those things we used to associate with people who were in their 70s, in their 80s, you know, and now we really associate it with 20s, 30s, 40s. Wow. Yeah. And it's very much associated with low fuel. So, which is a good thing, right? That, that means there's a there's a solution. Right. You just add fuel. <laughs> Yeah, it's so amazing how we've either been uh, misinformed or lied to. Yeah. This is what I'm, this is what generated me to say that from what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. I've kind of knew that before, but it just makes it more prevalent, more obvious that we are being lied to or being misinformed. Right. Yeah. One or the other. For a greater cause. Not positive, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. wow. Yeah. Our society makes this sound normal, right? All of these. <laughs> all these symptoms that we think of as normal or, you know, as a person gets into their 40s or 50s, they're like, oh, you know, just all the regular aches and pains of getting old. It's like, they're really not that old, you know? They shouldn't have those things. And that's very, very much associated with low fuel. And uh, we've kind of normalized that as a society. We've normalized all these crazy symptoms, you know, to kind of make it seem like it's not as much of a big deal. And then you don't go out looking for a solution, right? If you mm. think it's normal, you don't look for a solution. Because you've been told it's normal. Because you've been told it's normal. Exactly. Why would you go look for something if you're told something? Mm-hmm. Oh, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah, it's normal. Everybody experiences that. Just because everybody experiences it doesn't mean it's correct or normal. <laughs> huh. um, but there are a plenty of other symptoms too, though. Some additional ones that are, are very common. Uh, and these are kind of the hallmark symptoms of low fuel is a headache. Headaches are huge 
a huge indicator of migraines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the first indicators. Migraines and headaches are one of the first indicators of low fuel. And honestly, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, hmm, I have headaches, that's, this is good news to you, right? Because if you add fuel, you don't have to experience those headaches and, and debilitating migraines and stuff like that. And I've, I've seen so many people uh, who have started supplementing with glucose and they can even take it in the moment when they're having a headache and uh, it fixes the headache if they take enough. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes it causes a little bit of nausea, so there are there is that. But if you take enough, it'll it'll take the headache away. Um, and then I've watched as people who have struggled with migraines their entire life no longer experience migraines. You know how amazing is that? Interesting. So that's one of the first hallmark symptoms. And then another one is anxiety. Anxiety is a huge one. A lot of people think that this is super normal. Again, normalization. Um, it's it's not normal. It's not normal to live in an anxious state. Uh, and I'll tell you why this happens. Uh, the The brain has this amazing checklist that it looks for things. Like I said, remember the the brain does scanning, mm-hmm. it's looking for uh, threats, things that are wrong, and it has this this mental checklist. And it says, you know, hmm, our thing it is something bleeding. Is it bruised? Um, is there a foreign invaders? Is there a fever? Is there inflammation? It has this whole checklist of physical symptoms that it, it checks for right. and says, you know, is is there anything that's wrong? And then if it says no, uh, you know, this causes a lot of things and some of which we had talked about, but one of them is anxiety. And there's kind of like this, this feeling that something is wrong. So your brain kind of knows that it's low on fuel, but it doesn't necessarily have a checkbox to say, do we have enough fuel? Um, so it has this other checklist and it says, no, 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 we're, we're not, there's no inflammation, there's no bleeding, there's no uh, foreign invader, there's blah, blah, blah. So what's going on? Um, and a lot of times that causes anxiety in the brain and it's almost at a subconscious level. Sometimes people who um, have struggled with anxiety their whole life can't necessarily tell you why they're anxious or they have irrational anxiety, something that does not make sense for them to be um anxious or, or afraid over. Um, but that's the the mental checklist that it goes through. And then it says, nothing's wrong, but I know something's wrong. So it causes this kind of conflict um, and, and worry. And then the brain kind of worries that something is wrong or that something will happen that's wrong. And it causes this unexplained anxiety. And we've really normalized that, you know, as a society, but it's, it's not normal. And it's just the caused by insufficient fuel to the brain not just bad choices nope <laughs> nope wow but yeah it's it's there's there's a difference though between between anxiety and worrying about something that could have uh, real consequences so uh, to me an- anxiety doesn't is not necessarily specific it doesn't necessarily have a cause. Does mean it does not mean that you're a weak-minded or a weak person. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's a really good point. This has nothing to do with with um, with you as an individual, or your identity, or your worthiness, or your strength, or your or oh. any weakness, anything like that. So he's saying that just like having a headache, oh, you're weak. No, it's just natural. You have a headache because you're lacking of something. Because you don't have enough fuel. Yeah, that's exactly it. Hmm. And in a lot of cases, you know, you'll see, like I mentioned, um, despondency, which is just a, a lack of will to live. And then depression. Um, people struggle with depression and despondency a lot. And that leads to suicidality in a lot of cases, thoughts of suicide. Um, and those things are are nothing to be ashamed of either. And our society really, you know, places blame on the individual for having such thoughts or or shame on the individual for, you know, struggling with depression or something like that. And I, I see that a lot in the Christian church as well. Um, but that's that doesn't have to do with your your strength of mind. It doesn't have to do with your character. It doesn't have to do with any of these things. It's not shameful at all. The, the fact of the matter is, is that your brain doesn't have enough fuel and it's going through this checklist of things that it w- it's been programmed to go through and check for. And all of those things seem okay. And then it says, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with who I am. 
Maybe oh. there's something. Maybe there's something wrong with my identity. Maybe I don't have intrinsic worth. Maybe, and it starts wondering. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe that's wrong. Right? And that's where you start coming into this struggle with identity, this struggle with worthiness, this struggle with depression, all these things. And those can even become automations. Like I, I said, that's what the brain does. When you do something multiple times, your brain is trying to help you. And it says, here, I'll automate this for you. And sometimes that's not a good thing because those thought processes are negative. Um, so then what happens is that you have this automation telling you that you're not worthy or I'm not um, good enough or, you know, I'm not brave enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough friend. I'm not a good enough sister or brother or uncle or aunt or, or anything like that. I'm, I'm not good enough. Who I am is there's something wrong with who I am. And you've got these automations going on. And honestly, that comes into some other symptoms that we're talking about. Um, anger. It's not, it's not fun to feel that way. Nobody likes to feel that way. And that causes anger and aggression in a lot of cases. Understandably so, right? We don't want to feel that we're not good enough. I don't want to feel shame because of, you know, some, some thought process that I have or my brain wondering, you know, why I'm not good enough or what's wrong with me. And yet I feel shame and maybe that makes me angry and maybe that make that anger makes me aggressive. When you refuel the brain, that anger goes away, that, um, that aggression goes away. And those underlying automations can be reverted to something that's positive. They can be rebuilt. And instead of thinking, I'm not good enough, a lot of times during treatment, you'll want to intentionally think good things and think the truth, right? And not just, <laughs> I see a lot of people like, you, you are good enough, you know, everything about you and, mm -hmm. and uh, make sure, you know, you're a good, strong woman. You're a, I don't know what it is, all these sayings. Um, don't tell yourself that, but also don't tell yourself that you're unworthy. Tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself what God tells you. You're worthy. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you are a, a son or a daughter of the most high king. And you were paid for with the biggest price anyone has ever paid for anything. And you were worth it. Those are the things that we need to tell ourselves to get rid of those automations that tell us you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. But that's so hard to do when your brain is not fully fueled. How can I fix this automation when the underlying root cause is not fixed? We need to fix the root cause so that we believe the real truth. When you say that uh, at the weak point, that's, how the, that's when the devil comes in. When you're not fueled and starts bringing you lies, starts blaming you, you start believing it. Just like when Jesus, uh, um, on his 40th day, he was weak after his fasting. That's when Satan doesn't tempt him when he's at his strongest. And the first day, oh no, he'll wait. He's got patience. He'll wait to the end, and he tempted Jesus as well. He does us at the weak points. Oh yeah, totally. I, I think that's a huge, I mean, that's an amazing point. And that's a huge thing that we need to be cognizant of. Uh, we need to be aware of that when our brain is not in a fully fueled state, when it's low on fuel, and that's caused by, by injury to the brain, right? Like we had talked about. Um, we're vulnerable to a lot of societal factors and to... Addictions. Addictions. Try to, yeah, make it, totally. try to, try to mask it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. It's like you read my mind on that. It's, yeah, it's, so we're susceptible to, uh, you know, influences in our society. Like, a big thing is I'm fat, right? I'm, it's just, it's always about weight, you know? Mm. That's a huge thing in our society. And so when your brain is kind of thinking, oh, there's something wrong with me, and you think, oh, well, may, maybe it's my weight. I'm, I don't look the way I want to, or, you know, I'm not you know comfortable in the way that I look, that kind of thing, then oh, I'm, I'm just going to assume it's confirmation bias. I'm just going to assume that that's what's wrong. Um, or it's 
um, those, those things like you're talking about, like addiction. Um, it turns to addiction to mask what's going on. Or your brain subconsciously um, latches on to something that it perceives it needs, desperately needs, in order to survive because it doesn't have the other thing it needs in order to survive, glucose. And so a lot of times, or in every case, if you refuel the brain, addictions just kind of fall away and your brain doesn't need it anymore. And that has to do with all, all kinds of addictions that you can think of, from alcohol addiction to sugar and carbohydrate, food addiction, whatever. Um, even pornography addiction just kind of goes away. Um, and I'm not making excuses for bad behavior or anything like that. Right. I'm just saying that there's a scientific and underlying cause for what's going on. Your brain is coming to a logical conclusion that it's missing something, but it doesn't know to identify it as glucose, as fuel. And so it looks for what it could be. And a lot of times it's given to us by, you know, uh, society that says, uh, you know, I'm too fat or, you know, uh, are, I need a drink. Yeah, exactly. Um, to anything else that you might think that you need according to our society or, um, you know, kind of the whispers of what the enemy wants us to believe about ourselves. Mm. Like we're not good enough. We're not worthy. God doesn't actually love you, you know? It tells us all these lies that we're susceptible to believing because of confirmation bias, because we already think that something's wrong. And if somebody tells us, yep, it's true, you're fat. Like, oh, I knew that that was the thing that was wrong. That kind of puts, that actually, I have a question on that later on, but I might as well just tap onto it. This is why there's some teenagers that I know who want to find or just easily try to find their identity in other people, other relationships. They'll find a new friend and all of a sudden they'll start liking something that they normally wouldn't like. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Rather than somebody that's a teenager and, and they're confident and they say, no, I'm my own person. I don't need that. What's the difference? Is it because of the fuel? Oh, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I think that part of that is just a human nature thing, right? Yeah. That um, a lot of us are people pleasers. A lot of us are, um, especially if it's somebody that we, we love and respect, um, we want to be like that person that we love or respect, you know? So there's, there's a lot of different factors. But a lot of the underlying um, insecurity and vulnerability there is definitely uh, glucose limitations and, and low fuel. Uh, because what happens, like I said, you've got those, you've got your brain wondering, what's wrong with me? You know, if it's not a foreign invader, if it's not a fever, if it's not inflammation, if it's not all these things, then what is it? You know? And so then we're susceptible to saying, well, I'm not good enough the way I am. So this person, other people like this person. Maybe if I'm more like them, people will like me. Mm -hmm. And we kind of do this little bit of a dance, if you will, and try and figure out what it is that's going to make us feel like or we're the, not missing something, yeah. right? Because we've got this thing that we're, there's something wrong, there's there's glucose limitation, and we don't know necessarily what it is, and so we're looking around and seeing what's going to fill that. And a big part of that is is God, right? Um, we This treatment is not like a replacement for knowing God. It goes, it, it's for knowing God. Mm. Um, and it's a, a lot of, it's like idolatry, right? Idolatry is putting things in the place of God. And a lot of times we put ourselves in the place of God. With full fuel, we're less likely to do that. Um, and it's easier not to do that because, because really there's, there's, there's something wrong with me fits the idolatry mindset, right? And it, it fits that narrative, but pulling, you know, God back in, you don't need this treatment and f full fuel to know God because God transcends so much. He transcends fuel limitations. He transcends the, the space between heaven and earth. He transcends, um, you know, the walls that we put up in our hearts. 
He transcends so much to reach us. And he is all powerful. He absolutely can reach past everything and, and get into our hearts and, and fill us up and, um, and make us close to him and make us believe that we are, are worthwhile for his attention and that we are treasures of his and that we are sons and daughters of his. He can, he can do that with the most intense glucose limitation. Where this treatment comes into play is making it easier for us to get rid of those distractions that keep us from God. And it makes it to where we're spending less energy, you know, taking thoughts captive and that kind of thing. So taking thoughts captive is hard to do, especially when you're low fuel, when your brain is low fuel. Because you're constantly fighting at it, right? It's a constant battle. Um, and it gets harder as injury gets more intense. And what this does is it makes it less of a daily battle, less of a constant struggle. And that kind of frees us up to know God better, to experience Him more, to look outside of ourselves and see other people the way God sees us and share our sense of worth and our sense of identity with other people and, and not kind of, you know, cave into, uh, you know, depression and, and spend time there. You know, it's, it's not a sin. I, I believe to be depressed, you know, it's, it's a symptom of low fuel and God intercedes for us and can get us out of any of those situations, of any of those thought processes, of any of those um, negative automations. He can reach past that and get us past it, right? And carry us. That's what he does. He's our father. He carries us uh, when we can't go on and when we're in a struggle. Um, and, And what this does is it just kind of takes away distractions, right? And and the energy that it takes to suppress those automations that I'm not good enough. And then it makes the anger not come up so much, right? And it gets rid of a lot of symptoms that we're experiencing. All those things that it does. This treatment is for knowing God better. That's all. So, you know, feeling depressed, there's definitely some, like I said, variables with that because there's lack of glucose, lack of something in the brain that they need to fuel, right? Right, yeah. Just like you're hungry. Mm-hmm. You're lacking something, you get those um, hunger pains, and you feed it. Yeah, yeah and it gets a little bit like uh, complicated when you talk about like the different types of um, you know, sugar and that kind of thing. Um, so maybe we could touch on that real quick. Um, the, the difference between glucose or dextrose, which you can think of as the same thing, basically. And sugar is that dextrose is a monosaccharide, so it's a very simple carbohydrate. It's a simple molecule. Um, All of the other ones, um, even fructose, fructose is still a simple carbohydrate, but it has multiple molecules bonded together. It's been, what do you call it, transformed, engineered. Not necessarily. Fructose is found naturally in and corn. Fruit. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, it's found, found in a lot of things. True. Um, so, yeah. But in uh, in nature, you find fructose with fiber, and that um, really affects the way that it's metabolized. Uh, but in processed foods and stuff, you find it without fiber, and so that really affects the way that it's metabolized. And if you're more, you know, if you're curious about this, there's a really good lecture from like. 10 or 12 years ago by Dr. Robert Ludwig. And um, he, let's see, what is it called? Sugar, the bitter truth. He really explains how things, how the different um, sugars are metabolized. And the fact that glucose is metabolized completely differently than all the other kinds of sugars. Um, So the point with taking glucose by itself um, is... Uh, the fact that it kind of bypasses the digestive tract. So it's it's a, a single molecule, right? It doesn't have to be broken down and digested. So the assumption is, and, and honestly, we're not sure, 
um, that it absorbs into or through the mucous membranes and it goes directly into the blood. So actually, if you take a swig of uh, dextrose or glucose, it goes pretty immediately into your blood um, as blood sugar, right? And then it goes into your brain pretty quickly because it uses a different uptake mechanism than the one that was dialed down uh, via the sympathetic nervous system or, you know, the one that you get um, your glucose from food. So that's your digestive uptake mechanism. It uses a different uptake mechanism when you take it that way for some reason. And it's kind of a mystery why, um, but it goes directly into your brain. So your brain is able to take a lot of this blood sugar and pull it into the brain and use it as fuel more immediately. So taking it that way is the thing that will heal this limitation and reset it. So if you take enough glucose consistently for a long enough period of time, that uptake mechanism that has been permanently dialed down by the brain actually resets itself, which is an amazing phenomenon. Um, but it, it actually happens. And then what you can do, um, which is the amazing thing about this treatment, is that you don't have to continue it. It heals your brain. And then what you'll do is you'll start getting glucose from the digestive tract, from the food that you're eating, and then you'll be fueling your brain from the food that you eat, just like God intended. Interesting. Earlier when we talked, you talked about identity. What is self-identity and how is that composed in our minds? Identity is how um, we portray ourselves, but I, I think that's a very lame definition. That's how we think of it typically. So I would define identity as uh, each person's absolute and unduplicated uniqueness as an individual specifically designed and shaped by God. All the human component parts are the same across individuals, but each part and the specific arrangement and expression of them are unique in each individual. Identity is intrinsic. It's not defined by your perception of yourself as we typically see uh, people interpret it as. It's not uh, defined by your um, job, your uh, bank account, uh, your education or lack of education, uh, your skin color, your opinions, and it's not even defined by your behavior. Mm. Which really is hard for people to think of. Yeah, because that's what we're trained to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's a very important concept to understand, especially during the recovery process, because a lot of people have misconceptions about who they are and their identity. Um, and, and they need to understand, you need to understand that nothing in your past um, and nothing in your perception or anyone else's perception of you, uh, nothing you do, uh, nothing you have done can impact or change your identity or your worthiness. Um, it's intrinsic, inherent, and completely contained within you from your inception. It, it doesn't grow or detract with anything that happens to you throughout your life. And it's completely defined by God. It's, this is what establishes human worth and value. Traits and roles and abilities are all features mm -hmm. of identity, but it's not identity itself. Those are like expressions of identity, but our identity is in us and is completely defined by God. And, and something to remember with that is, is that you were fashioned the way you are for a reason. There is nothing wrong with you and the way that you were created. You were created beautifully and with such care by God, and he didn't make a mistake mm -hmm. and he doesn't regret making you the way he did. Mm -hmm. So thinking that something is faulty in you is your perception of your identity. Always. It's not your, yeah, it's not your identity. So this is worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about what, what do you think your identity is because you are worthy um, and nothing in your design or makeup 
is is faulty, um, and nothing in your worth is faulty. You may have a brain injury, but that doesn't mean you're faulty. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean your personality has uh, a mistake. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means you have a, a brain injury. You have a lack of fuel in your brain, and it can be uh, healed by adding glucose or fuel. If, if you add fuel, that will keep your identity the same, but hopefully it will help you realize that your worth and value, your identity, was there all along. Okay, so if somebody thinks that there's some if there's someone different and you say it it is most likely a lack of, of deficiency of glucose deficiency because of what right? They're constantly eating all day and they still think the same thing. That's false. You know what I mean? If it's a if it's a brain injury or if it's if somebody is not if somebody thinks that they're not worthy, right? Um for days. Well, they've eaten, they've gotten glucose, they've gotten filled even at a higher state of uh, concentrate on glucose in their brain, but yet they still think they're not worthy or they still think that they're somebody else. Mm. Can you explain that if the problem with people that think of something that there's somebody else who's not worthy, they are lacking something, right? Mm. Uh, glucose or uh, efficiency, deficiency in their you know what I mean? The fuel, right? So when they, once they get fuel, they still don't change their perception about who they are. Yeah, and that could be like the automations that are happening in your brain. So remember, part of your brain's function is to automate things. And if you do something, you know, multiple times or consistently, your brain automates that function or process for you. And that's a beautiful thing. That's amazing. That's what our brain is supposed to do, but it can do that to negative thought processes. So if you keep telling yourself that you are unworthy, if you keep telling yourself and, and solidify those automations that are happening, you're going to continue to believe it most likely. But when you, when you fuel the brain again, it's much easier to retrain your brain to think differently or to get rid of those automations. And honestly, it's this very indescribable phenomenon that happens. Um, I, uh, you know, on a personal note, grew up very self-conscious and, uh, you know, I, I always had that, you know, key, those quintessential, you know, introvert things going on, you know, had a really hard time being confident. And I had a really hard time thinking that I was, um, you know, good enough to be with the cool kids, you know, and, and good enough to, um, you know, to do this or that, whatever. Um, and I noticed that, you know, throughout um, high school and, um, and college, I, I was really intentional about trying to face my fears and trying to tell myself the truth. And the truth is being that God created me this way for a reason, that God didn't make a mistake, uh, and that he loves me just the way I am. And, um, and I have great people in my life who has, have, have reinforced that, but it was still hard for me to believe. Um, and, and I worked really hard you know, during college to like, you know, take speech classes and to take, um, uh, to take, I joined the speech and debate team, which was crazy. Uh, and, and my worst fear, but I did it because I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I didn't want to feel afraid to talk to people. I didn't want to live that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I, I, I worked so hard at it and I spent so much energy doing that. And then when I went through this, treatment after college, after doing all that hard work and after making so much project process, uh, progress, I realized that all of a sudden during this treatment, and it was during the end of treatment, so this one takes a little bit longer, um, all of a sudden I didn't feel self-conscious. I didn't have those subconscious thoughts that I wasn't worthy. I didn't have the subconscious thoughts that I wasn't good enough. I didn't have all of a sudden it's, it's, yeah, it's a weird phenomenon. 
I just didn't have those thoughts. I always had these thoughts talking to people like there was something wrong with me or, or there was, um, you know, some, something about me that, you know, they wouldn't like, or being concerned about whether or not they, they liked me or whether or not, um, they, you know, thought I was worth talking to or worth their time or whatever. Um, and I, I just had constant thoughts of unworthiness that were very subconscious because I had worked so hard to suppress them and worked so hard to tell myself the truth and, and listen to other people who, who love me in my life, who told me that I was worth it, that I was amazing and that I was great and fantastic and all these things that, you know, good grandparents and aunts and uncles and your friends and parents tell you. Um, but I didn't believe it. It was hard to believe. And then all of a sudden, and this was when I, you know, I was maybe what was it, like 25 or something when I went through this treatment, all of a sudden I didn't think those things. And I cannot explain to you the profound difference in my thought processes. I just somehow understood that I was worthy, that I was worthy because God told me I was, and I just believed him just like that, instead of thinking, I'm worthy, but I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, but I don't believe it. You know, instead of just telling myself that I believed it in my heart. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's a very amazing thing. And um, I think my biggest thing is that I hope people experience that. I hope that they don't fight their whole life wondering if they were worth Jesus Christ dying on the cross for them. And they just believe God that he said, you are worth it and you are treasured and you are my son or you are my daughter and you are dearly loved. That is easy to tell yourself and hard to believe in low fuel. But honestly, it's a lot easier to believe in full fuel. I thought I believed it before and I kind of did. I, and I told myself that and I believed God. I trust God. I, you know, my, I had faith that God meant what he said when he said those things. But there's this little element that was hard for me to internalize and I had to keep telling myself and keep repeating to myself. And I don't find myself doing that anymore. I don't find myself doubting anymore. I just believe it as a fact and don't worry about it anymore. It's incredible. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how... God never, he, he he can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Right. And we still yeah. doubt. No, maybe he's not telling. Maybe he's just, maybe he's just feeling good that day. Yeah. Or maybe it applies to everybody but me. Right. Or maybe, maybe there's this one thing that I did that exempts me from it. But no, that's the thing with identity is that even your behavior does not change your identity. And your identity is the worth and the value that God placed. That's in true. Because you hear a lot of this. What people say, hey, don't let that experience or that bad trauma define you because it doesn't. I've known kids to run away and we've told them that doesn't define who you are. Right. Or the mistakes you make doesn't define who you are. Just because you make bad grades or just because you got angry and lost out doesn't mean that's who you are. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And some people have a hard time being wrong. Um, yeah. and, and being wrong doesn't define you either being, no. being mistaken or being, you know, about all these things. Even if you think all these things about yourself, being wrong doesn't define you. And it's, it's also not bad to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. The bad thing is when you stay wrong, you know, and you hear all these truths about yourself True. and you say you do have intrinsic worth and you are very, you have immeasurable value and worth. And if you don't believe that, you're wrong, but it's okay that you're wrong. It's just not okay for you to stay wrong. You can and should believe that you have this beautiful value and beautiful worth that God placed in each of us. And, and only you express God the way that you can. All of your characteristics and your unique personality, your abilities, your passion, your, your understanding of the world, the way you communicate, everything about you is a unique portrayal of who God is. And nobody else in the history of the universe is ever going to be like you. 
that's amazing. You're amazing. You're valuable. You're, you're an amazing creation of God's and no one is ever going to be just like you, you know, and nobody's going to be able to express God the way you do. And that's a fact. So listen up folks who are listening. And it's the truth. You are unique. That's awesome. Um, Noam Spencer says this. Mental health is not a destination, but a process. It's about how you drive, not where you're going. So can you elaborate, Naomi, on this and what it means to you? Yeah, that's an interesting um, way to view mental health. Um, I think what she's kind of likening it to is the way I think about, like, you know, sanctification, the difference between... (laughs) You know, sanctification and justification. Justification is when God, um, when you received God's gift of forgiveness and you're justified then and there. You don't have to be justified again. Um, and he has paid for all your past sins and all your future sins and uh, everything. And you're just justified. Um, and it happens just like that. Mm-hmm. Sanctification is a process, kind of like he likening mental health to. And it's something, sanctification is something that... You know, we mess up and then we seek God and ask for forgiveness and we try to be more like God. We're human. We're never going to be just like God. Um, But when we mess up, he loves us anyway. We're still justified. Um, We seek him and, and then we try and be more like him. Right. And that's that's a process. You know, mental health. I don't know. I don't know if it's a process. Uh, maybe it is um, because we have all these things happening in our life that cause these glucose deficiencies or, or insufficiencies, and uh, you know we we get hit in the head consistently, or we're in a uh, a situation that causes us fear, or we're exposed to toxic chemicals. All this kind of stuff throughout our life will cause these um, these this glucose limitation, and maybe it is a process because we can't ever stop that from happening. Um, so if we're likening mental health to being fully fueled and being in a full fueled state, which is kind of how I personally think of mental health, I I don't think that most people think of mental health that way. Um, but to me, mental health means being in a fully fueled state so that your, your perception of yourself is more like what Jesus intended. Um, so that your reactions to emotional stimuli is appropriate. Um, so that you don't, you know, overreact or underreact to things. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Um, but those, those reactions should be, uh, on par or appropriate to whatever the stimulus is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And when we don't have enough fuel, we we can't do that. We can't regulate our responses as well. Um, so to me, mental health means being in a state that you're you're fully fueled and that you can regulate those those processes and your um, you know perception of your your worthiness and yourself um, is the way it's supposed to be, um, like we had talked about. Um, and, and I think it's probably just the process because we keep getting injured, and that's just the way our world is. Um, we have things and people that that hurt us in our life and traumatic events that happen, and uh, you know it's it's a state that causes you know uh, glucose limitation, and maybe that affects our mental health. You know, um, maybe someone is in. Uh, an explosion when they, you know, go to war and they come back with PTSD that affects their mental health mm. dramatically in so many different ways. And, um, maybe to get them back to a place of being fully fueled and, and having good mental health just means instead of, you know, therapy and all this kind of stuff, it means putting, um, glucose, back into our brain for a sufficient amount of time so that our brain can heal. And sometimes it does take some some therapy uh, because we have those automations that we talked about. And, um, and sometimes it's hard for us to get rid of those automations without somebody's help. And that's okay. And that's maybe part of the process of mental health. So I, I do think that's an interesting way that he portrayed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it is. I hadn't thought about it before. Interesting. 
So, Naomi, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure having you on. I loved what you had to share. You had so much knowledge to share with us today. And uh, I know for a fact that listeners are going to uh, uh, take this, digest it, um, share it with others, and try things that um, maybe take a different approach on things that weren't working, you know, with a different scenarios children over hyperactive not learning not sitting down or adults having headaches to uh, brain injuries uh, stuff like that as we were like you said and i also believe that we were we are lied to you know uh, we're led to believe there's no cure for a lot of our a lot of our mental states or if there is it's temporary like a pill like tylenol or advil to be for an example. But uh, I really appreciate you being here and your knowledge. Um, I definitely see you here uh, more often because just sitting here with this podcast, I've uh, generated a lot of questions and I just know there's so much more out there for for what you're studying. And uh, I loved you being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And I, I just love your, your passion for this topic and kind of like my own. So I, I feel like we kind of got to geek out together and I, yes. I really appreciate it. And connected. Yeah, for sure. And then for all those listening, I, I just, uh, you know, want to end with if you're feeling kind of some of the ways that we've talked about or the symptoms that we had talked about. And there's more, of course, but just know that there's hope for whatever it is that you're going through. And you're not alone. You've just heard brain rehabilitation specialist Naomi Hazlip. I hope these two podcasts help you understand the power of the brain and giving you hope to some of the things that we face daily with glucose deficiency. If you have questions and comments and concerns, please feel free to contact me at info at champ180.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Champ 180 Podcast. I really appreciate your time and tuning in. Again, this is Adam Childress, but I'd like to leave you with a few things to uh, live by daily. That is be thankful, be kind, believe in yourself, never give up, help others, cherish family and friends, do your best, listen with your heart, laugh often, and love lots. Until next time. God bless.